Flyers Fix. Flyers Fix. With Jason Mertidis and Brian Smith. And welcome to Flyers Fix, Episode 6, uh, Take 2. <laughs> Brian Smith and Jason Mertidis. And uh, we are back. We are back with a Flyers Fix episode. We have not done one since uh, yours truly's 48th birthday on March 30th when we talked to Chuck Fletcher about the pause, about the pandemic. It's Jason Martinez and Brian Smith. Schmitty, how you doing? Doing all right. How about yourself? We're doing good, man. I am so yeah. happy hockey is being played. It's games. Brian, it was weird because, you know, you and I were out at training camp and we were, you know, doing some uh, analysis and, and commentating on the scrimmages. And at that point, I still was like not sure it was definitely coming back because, you know, the narrative at that time was we just got to get to the bubble. We got to get to the bubble. Yep, yep. Then you come to find out with that round of testing heading into the bubble, zero positive tests, over 800 players, over 4,254 tests and no positive tests. I was stunned. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it was it, it was there. There was definitely some trepidation. You could sense it. Not just uh, you know in in Voorhees, but across the entire league, it was like kind of like the narrative is, all right, we've got to get through phase three to get to phase four. This is about getting to the bubble, and you kind of felt like once um, you know once you got to the bubble, everything was going to be fine. And there was even you know I, I talked to some people who was like when we were starting phase three, it's like if we could just let's just put them all in a hotel now. Like, let's just hold on to them and make sure that nothing happens like what's happened in baseball now. That's exactly the kind of thing I think everybody was worried about. But uh, a lot of credit to uh, everybody that was going into the bubble, uh, not only the players, but the uh, staff members that are there as well. Everybody pretty much steered clear. And even the ones that didn't, even the ones that got into some hot water, uh, like, like David Pasternak and Andre Kasha, they, they got into the hot water because they were – trying to practice you know they were yeah. trying to skate they weren't in a, a casino or uh, getting chicken wings at a strip club they were trying to get ready to return uh and ran afoul of things so yeah it is a lot of credit to to everybody and now that uh i guess word came out yesterday that there's been seven thousand tests since this has started and still no positives that's uh that's a great thing and uh, hopefully it's just going to continue yeah, you see the same thing happening in the NBA bubble where the, the bubble theory has worked out tremendously well for the three leagues that implemented it, the MLS, um, and they've been performing tons of tests too. Initially, two teams couldn't even join it, but once they got into the bubble, complete security there. The NBA down in Orlando, while the virus, at, particularly over the past couple of weeks, has raged around them, has been a secure environment, and we see that in Toronto and Edmonton now. But, Brian, let's get into the game uh, that the Flyers played, the, the, the first game back, not the preseason game. Um, real quick, though, uh, Elaine Vigneault is going to join us on this episode. We'll talk to the coach about uh, the win over the Bruins. We're going to talk to him about uh, just the process of coming back and, and a lot more and what that Bruins game could mean for this team from a foundational standpoint going forward. And also going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, with uh, Flyers and Comcast Spectacore President and CEO Dave Scott. So that's to come on this episode. But let's get into the game, Bri, because we saw it on Sunday. We all bunkered down to watch it. Um, the Flyers against the Bruins. The Bruins, the number one seed, won the President's Trophy, the only team to get to 100 points this regular season. Uh, the Flyers coming in as the four seed and can only improve uh, their positioning in the, in the seeding in the Eastern Conference. And they come away with a 4-1 win. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? Well, I mean, there was, I think there was no question in watching this game that, um, that the Bruins were not 100%. And we kind of expected that just from the standpoint of they had uh, eight players, I believe it was, that did not participate in 
the first week of training camp in Boston because of, I guess, I'm assuming possible exposure issues. We now know what was keeping uh, Pasternak and Andre Kosh out so long. And I, I guess for folks that may not have picked up on it, apparently they, uh, they, they came back a little bit late from Europe and uh, were trying to skate at a rink uh, outside of the bubble in Boston. And so they had to quarantine just to be safe. But because of all that, um, they, they did not get to skate together as much in camp as the Flyers did. And you heard the Flyers talking so much during camp about how important it was to be together and get the timing back, get the rhythm back, get back in the systems. And, and Boston didn't, didn't get to do that. Plus, they didn't have Tuka Rask because uh, he, he had a cough. He was a little under the weather. So uh, we, we knew they weren't going to be at their best. But I think my biggest takeaway, Jason, was uh, that the, the, the degree in that game to which the Flyers did dominate it, and that's what you would want to see when you're going up against a Boston team that uh, was, was not their best. If uh, the Flyers had played perhaps the game you would just expect, if you see on paper they're going to play Boston, where it was a, a, a you know, grind-out, knock-down affair, and they barely squeak away uh, against the Boston team in that situation, then you might be a little bit worried. But the fact that they controlled play in that game for uh, large portions of it I'm having difficulty remembering a time when Boston really was controlling the play. Um, you know, that's what I'm happy to see is the degree to which they won that game. And also the uh, degree to which um, uh, Carter Hart played in that game. Uh, obviously not a shutout, but it's another one of those situations. And he's got, he's getting close to, to 20 of these games where he's, uh, uh, you know, he should have had a shutout and uh, it yeah. didn't, didn't get one because of, uh, you know, a funky bounce or whatever. He's only got uh, the one career shutout, but I believe he's got 18 games where he only allowed one goal. And wow. that is a, that's a big number. That's, that's really impressive there. And it's a lot of times you just look for the shutout number and you lose track of, of some of the other ones. A lot of those 18 games were, were games where it was a shutout until the last three minutes, or I know there's at least one where the first shot went in and the rest of them didn't stuff like that. So um, I, I was really, uh, really comforted by seeing how, um, how Carter played that game, especially after losing some time uh, during the camp uh, to his uh, little ailment. So hopefully that's all out of the woods, but uh, all in all, it was a, a great uh, first game for, for the Flyers. And uh, hopefully now they're just going to build on it against Washington. Yeah. And, and, and that was my biggest takeaway as well. You just, you know, you let a horse to water and I'm going to drink right now because <laughs> uh, my biggest takeaway, it wasn't the fact bribe that he made 34 saves on 35 shots. The goal that Boston scored, uh, you know, goes off Robert Haig's skate in, yeah. in the crease. And it's just one of those bad luck situations. He played the, the Chris Wagner uh, situation on the goal completely the right way. It just, you know, Wagner throws it in front and hits off the skate. It ends up in, it's an inconsequential goal. Although at the time it could have been consequential, but right. the Flyers answered eight seconds later. But Brian, it's not the 34 saves. To me, uh, it was the manner in which he looked in the game, the comfortability level. And I tweeted this out, and I said that it didn't look like his uh, his like heart rate ever reached higher than 71 beats per minute. He looked incredibly calm, efficient, under control, not overplaying any rush attempts or opportunities for Boston and you know you watch Carey Price the night before and that's what Price's hallmark is his efficiency and, and calm under pressure and man if if Carter didn't look like him he I mean it was it was crazy to me because how good he was and the first 10 minutes of that game Boston was all over the Flyers and he held the door you know kept the door shut and that allowed the Flyers to get their legs under him and then basically 
dominate the game until the last three minutes when they pulled their goalie anyway and they just threw a bunch of shots at the net. But the efficiency and the calmness with which he, you know, performed in his first NHL postseason game to me was my biggest takeaway. The 34 saves, awesome. But the way he looked doing it, even better. And we saw that from him a lot this regular season, I think, where, uh, you know, those occasions where the Flyers might have been off to a a little bit of a slow start and uh, needed to get their legs under them. And, uh, you know, their goaltender holds down the fort for them until they're able to do that. And we we saw a little bit of that. And I, I guess the other takeaway I had from that game was, uh, that the Flyers were able to do what they did without their top two lines having to contribute uh, a ton in this game. Uh, you know, the top line guys, Jake Voracek had an assist, but that was the only point there. They did generate, um, you know, several shot opportunities in that first line. Second line didn't do uh, quite as much as the first line did in terms of shot opportunities, and, and Kevin Hayes did get an assist in there, but that was the only assist on that line. Uh, the fact that uh, so much of what the Flyers did came from the bottom six forwards and the defense is comforting as well. Uh, it really shows what a lot of people thought you had with this team, which is a really well-balanced uh, lineup up and down the uh, forward ranks and the, uh, the, the the defense being dangerous as well as uh, sound defensively. Uh, you know, All that looks great for the first time out. Yeah, the, the depth scoring is absolutely – when you get goals from Raffle Thompson, your first two, Phil Myers uh, scores that goal eight seconds after Chris Wagner, and then Scott Lawton uh, wires that one uh, by Yaro Halaka, as you alluded to. Tuka Rask was not available in the game. Um, but when you're getting that kind of scoring from those guys, and, and you know Elaine Vigneault loves to roll four lines, and that brings me yeah. right to, to my next point. Um, you know, this was Elaine Vigneault and Bruce Cassidy. They're both Jack Adams finalists. Uh, for a reason, and they're both really good coaches. But it, and, and we talk so much during the pause in, in Flyers Daily and talking with Mike Yo and Michelle Terrien and Ian LaPerriere, Kim Dillball, uh, AV, the, all the players, about how to get their intensity level back to where it was when the pause happened. And the, the big thing in this game is the Flyers played with much more urgency in the game than Boston did. Um, and, and the point of that is that this is – you know, the result of this game is a 4-1 win, and you're in a good situation to move up in your in, in the seating in the Eastern Conference. But the big thing that I take out of this game, is, it, to me, is that it's a massive foundational building block for this team to remember the team that they were by relying on the system, being ready to play, uh, capitalizing on opportunities. And even though there was some rust in this game, uh, the details were executed pretty well. And and really kind of harkens back, Jason, to what the entire process has been Mm -hmm. for the Flyers in that, uh, you know, they didn't just jump into this camp and say, okay, here's uh, some drills we're going to do and, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll see how things go. Um, You know, Elaine Vigneault and his staff meticulously planned out the camp with the Flyers sports science people, um, you know, saying, okay, we want to do this amount of uh, exertion on day one. Then we want to ramp it up to this on day two. And they took it through the first week of the camp, ramping up to the first scrimmage at the end of that week. Then they went into special teams and, um, you know, the, we saw the one scrimmage that we played uh, an entire third of the game on the power play for, uh, you know, power play versus penalty kill. So, you know, they, they definitely had a, a process in mind and that process was to get them to, to the bubble, which is, uh, you, know, you know, again, another step. The exhibition game against Pittsburgh was a step, and then this game against uh, 
Boston was a step. And then the next game on Thursday is going to be a step as well. And it's going to be one where the Flyers may have to, uh, you know, make some decisions uh, with Michael Roffel being out of the lineup. They're going to have to figure out which route they're going to go from here. But, uh, but, but it has been a very, very well planned out uh, path from the start of camp. And it's not even over yet. It's going to go to the start of the first round. Uh, they weren't shy in saying they were going to use these three exhibition games. Obviously, it would be great to move up in the seating and improve your spot, but they want to use these games to get ready for that first round, and that's uh, what we've seen so far and uh, still two more to go. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to look ahead at those two games coming up. We're also going to look around at the series that are going on in the National Hockey League, both both the round-robin series and the other teams, particularly in the Eastern Conference, Tampa, Washington, and the Bruins. And we're also going to take a look at a lot of these best-of-five playing series. But right now, had a chance to catch up with Elaine Vigneault, Flyers bench boss, and here's that conversation. A.V., how you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Doing good. I know everybody's very excited about the result in Sunday's matchup. Before I get even to that, though, real quick, i got to ask you, I see a lot of the NHL coaches not going with the suit and wearing a pullover. You're going full suit. We'll go into that decision. Uh, you know, they asked us to, prior to uh, coming to uh, the bubble. You know, they asked uh, the thirty, the twenty-four coaches going into it, and I've always felt that uh, when I'm behind the bench, I'm I'm going to work, and going to work for me has always been wearing a suit. So I decided that this was no different. I'm going to work, and I'm wearing my suit. And some guys, uh, and I, I can understand it. I can see it. They're, they're trying to keep the buildings real cool, real cold. And because of no fans in the building, they are a lot cooler than they have been uh, when they are fans. So they just wanted to stay warm. Well, I'll stay warm by moving around a little bit more behind the bench. Um, let, let's talk about the, the opening game for you guys in the round robin. Uh, you come away with a 4-1 win. Uh, when, you, when you look at kind of, you know, the result obviously is very good. Um, but what did you feel about the process and what went into the details of the result to get you where you needed to be? Yeah, I thought our, our first period was, uh, you know, a little sluggish. And, and, and I'd say, you know, it's the same ice for both teams, but uh, the quality of the ice in the first period was uh, was a little bit off. And it made for some plays that we normally didn't make with the puck. We were having a uh, maybe a little bit more challenging time. But I thought in the second period and the first 15 minutes of the third, we played extremely well. We didn't give the Bruins a lot. We generated some great A chances, a few that we capitalized on. Uh, no more important than, uh, you know, our third goal, Phil Myers goal, just after they scored to make it 2-1. That could have given them, you know, a little bit of momentum. But, uh, you know, we uh, lose the faceoff, put the right type of pressure, recover the puck, go down on a two-on-one, and Phil scores. And, and that goal there... I thought really, uh, you know, took any uh, any opportunity for them to to get some some momentum because first 15 minutes of the third period we didn't give them a scoring chance. Uh, we spent a lot of time in their end. We were, you know, we had our foot on the gas. We weren't sitting back. Uh, we were trying to play high tempo hockey. And uh, uh, I thought for the most part, uh, you know, the second and third period were real strong periods for us. Uh, you talk about that. You get that goal eight seconds later from Phil Myers. And, uh, you know, you guys with the next nine shots on goal, you didn't give him any chances, as you alluded to. Let, let's talk about that pairing of Sanheim and Myers. Their elite skating ability to cover the 200 by 85 is such an asset because they can jump plays, get into the offense, and also have that ability to get back. 
they were particularly good in the game. What was your assessment of their play, in particular against that top line with Bergeron, Marchand, and David Pasternak? Yeah, I thought, you know, uh, going back to our first exhibition game, I thought Phil and, and Travis uh, struggled a little bit. But uh, like uh, the competitors, uh, you know, we've learned, uh, you know, how, the, how they compete and their size and their skating ability. Uh, you know, we let them go through a little bit of some growing pains during the year. And we felt that it would be beneficial in the long run. And in, in, in that first game yesterday against Boston, uh, they were – you know, our best uh, duo, our, our best pair of these, they were strong defensively. Uh, they were moving the puck up well. They were jumping up in the play when uh, the opportunity was there. And, uh, you know, they're a, a big part of our team. They're both young defensemen, both still, as far as I'm concerned, scratching the surface on their potential. Uh, but they're two good young men that really want to work at their game. And uh, last night, uh, hopefully, was the start of, you know, something real positive for them and for our team. Elaine, you've preached the loving to have that ability to roll four lines, especially in this round robin where you're trying to get everybody a lot of minutes, knock the rust off to get ready for what is the actual playoffs coming up August 11th. To get the depth scoring, to get goals from Raffle, Thompson, Myers, and Scott Lawton, to, to spread that all around your lineup had to make you feel really good about that aspect of the result. There's no doubt, and and any team that you know is expecting to to have a, a long playoff run and, and to challenge for a Stanley Cup, uh, if you're going to do that, you're going to get contributions from your whole lineup, and it has it can't be always the big guns. It has to be, you know, you sometimes uh, your bottom six forward, uh, sometimes your second or third pair D. Uh, you need that that type of contribution to be able to, to, you know, to push and challenge for that Stanley Cup. And we got, you know, some huge contributions last night. Uh, I believe that, you know, it's a step in the, in the right direction. We're going to be challenged on, on Thursday when we play against Washington, but uh, we'll be ready for the task. Uh, Elaine, let's, let's talk about um, Michael Raffle. He go, he's got a goal and an assist in the game. I know there's limited, you can say. Is he a guy that's going to be available come Thursday? Um, and you, you have some decisions to make if, if he can't go, um, and you have some decisions to make anyway because you want to get guys in the lineup. How variant will your lineup be come Thursday and, and the situation with Raffle? Well, obviously you can't really talk about uh, Raffle's situation, but I, I, I think it's you know, pretty safe to say he fell very awkwardly into the board yesterday, and uh, he won't be available here for a little bit of time. Uh, but that, you know, puts Joel back in. Uh, there was no doubt that I, I wanted to put Joel back in uh, the lineup at some point here, so that gives him the opportunity. And I, I'm watching the, watching the game here for a second time. Uh, I might make some other changes here moving forward. So we've got uh, practice day today, and then we have uh, one more practice on Wednesday before we play against Washington. Uh, with my uh, assistants and with Chuck and, and Brent, we'll sit down there and, uh, there might be a, a few other changes. We'll see what uh, we decide to do here come Thursday. Uh, you got an opportunity now. Winning that first game is a great first step to get those two points in the round robin. Uh, the goaltending you got up from Carter Hart in the game is particularly in that first period when Boston was really all over you guys for him to not only, you know, kind of hold the fort down and keep it a scoreless game. But, Elaine, my biggest takeaway from the game wasn't the 34 saves on the 35 shots. It was the manner in which Carter looked in doing it. He looked so calm, 
the moment wasn't too big for him. I said his, it didn't look like his heart rate went over 71 beats per minute in the game. <laughs> I, I mean, that to me, that's yeah. my biggest takeaway is just the way, not only the 34 saves, but the way he looked in doing it. How impressed were you with his performance? You know, that's such a good point. I mean, he, he looked big, he looked calm, he looked in control. And that, you know, that rubs off on, on the rest of our group. I mean, there's no doubt that the goaltending in today's game is, is such a, an important factor. Uh, you know, a lot of times in games, if my goaltender is better than your goaltender, I'm probably going to win that game. And, and last night, there's no doubt that Carter was, was the better of the go- two goaltenders on the ice. And that confidence in, of him, you know, controlling those rebounds and, and helping us on breakouts by stopping the puck and, and moving it a couple of feet one way or the other were huge. It was a big game for our team. It was a big game for, for Carter. I don't think there was, you know, any doubt in, in our minds that, you know, even though Carter hasn't played on this stage before, uh, you know, he's earned the right. To, uh, he's played in, in big moments before, and uh, he's a big part of our success moving forward here. The one thing about the game, too, Elaine, it's you're not playing for your lives right now. Uh, the playoffs will begin for you guys in earnest on the 11th. Um, but that is certainly that game against the Bruins, a really good opponent, is certainly a big cinder block in the foundation that you're rebuilding right now, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. And, and our game against Pittsburgh, you know, you know, the first, really like the way we started that game in, a, in our first half. They came on after that. But, you know, you find a way to win those games. We found a way to win it in overtime. Uh, even though it's not the overtime that we're going to see in, in, in the playoff format. But we found a way to win, and we carried it over, you know, the last game. So uh, Washington's coming up. It's going to be a, a huge chest test for us. They're one of the best teams in the, in the league. And uh, I think our group is, is looking forward to it here. We've uh, talked about the different stages, the stage in Philly, and now the stage in the bubble to prepare ourselves for our first-round matchup. And we're taking this very seriously. We're putting in the time and the work the effort, the preparation that's needed. And uh, come uh, August uh, the 11th, uh, whoever the opponent is, we're going to be ready. Uh, Elaine, talk about the bubble real quick, because as an, as an NHL coach or a coach of a professional sports teams, uh, some of the times you worry are when you don't have the group around you, but you got the bubble life going right now for everybody. It's a bit of an old school feel for, for players and coaches back to your youth days and going to tournaments. So this is a really long tournament. And you hope to be there for a while. How's yeah. bubble life been for you as a staff and how the players seem to be adapting to it? You know, there's no complaints on our part. Honestly, we've, uh, you know, we've been treated very well here. Uh, everything that, uh, you know, we've asked, it's like a, basically for us, it's like a, an extended road trip. Uh, you know, we're, we're together. There's great facilities here at the hotel as far as training and, and, and being able to do uh, things off ice. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. got to deal with it. And uh, we talked about uh, to our group about in, in today's society with what's going on, we're very fortunate to be able to be able to play and maybe bring uh, comfort to people that uh, need their sports right now. And hockey is a great game. It's a beautiful sport. It's got a, a, a great community. And uh, let's do our part by uh, winning and, and doing our part for the Philly fans. Well, game one certainly brought a lot of joy to Flyer fans. Last question for you, Elaine. Um, having a group with, with characters like Kevin Hayes, Michael Raffle, that keep things fun, a coaching staff that you've assembled that really seems to enjoy each other's company and working alongside each other, uh, that can pay dividends both from a player's perspective in this unique situation and for you guys to, to help maintain your sanity, can it? 
Yeah, well, in, in this situation right now, you need that. And, and I've, you know, I've always said this to, to the, the guys I'm working with and, and to the players. I mean, yes, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and but you got to find a way to do that work while you're having, you know, fun. Anytime that you can uh, enjoy what you're doing and it, does, it doesn't become work, you're just doing it, you're having a good time. And uh, right now with our group, we do have a, quite a few characters and the guys like to be around one another. And uh, there's always a, a different component uh, each day because uh, somebody's always got a little something up his sleeve here to, to keep everybody loose and to keep everybody focused. That's, that's uh, the fun part of being a, a flyer player and a fire flyer staff member at this time. Well, Elaine, uh, great start uh, to the round robin. Best of luck. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate you taking the time. And uh, we'll all be watching Philadelphia. I know you guys aren't here right now, but uh, Philadelphia is getting in a lather rather quickly. And people are really getting excited well, about what's to come. Appreciate it. Anytime. And everyone stay safe out there. Uh, great to hear from Elaine Vigneault. And, and Bri, again, you hear him in, in all of his availabilities and you heard it there. Just a guy that really knows what his plan is right now to execute and talking about Joel Farabee entering this lineup coming up on Thursday, um, having the organizational depth that this team has, you know, losing Michael Raffle is a big loss, but having a guy like Joel Farabee, an extremely skilled player mitigates that loss. But the other part of it is Farabee gets a bit of a pause in his rookie year, another camp, if you will, to reset. And that can be really good for a young player. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that that pause, if the Flyers make a run here, I think it's going to end up being that this pause was the best thing that ever happened to them. Um, you know, it, I've always been of the opinion that I was the most excited about what this team would look like after they got to go through <clears throat> Elaine Vigneault's second training camp, which originally was scheduled to be in September uh, in advance of next season. But um, because of what transpired, they were able to get a camp in before the playoffs and and I think that's going to be just hugely beneficial to this team and you're right it, it gave uh, you know it gave a lot of these young players not just uh, Joel Farabee but uh, but Morgan Frost and even some of the guys that uh, were not in the lineup did not go to the bubble um, German Rubsoff and, and players like that gave them a chance to uh, to kind of reflect I guess a little bit on what they went through already to get there and uh, and now uh, are going to be doing to move on into the playoffs. And it's it going to be really interesting to me to see how the Flyers use Joel Farabee. I'm not 100% convinced that it's just going to be a in-out swap uh, for Michael Roffel down there on the fourth line. Um, totally agree. I, I think yeah. that um, you might see Farabee skating a little bit higher up in the lineup and somebody else shifting down into that role. And it's just a matter of of finding the roles for the players. That's another thing that this coaching staff has been very, very good at over this uh, past year. The one thing the Flyers were doing in the um, first half of the season was consistently cycling out people to try to fill that, uh, that those bottom two center spots. They were trying to figure out exactly uh, where the, uh, you know, what the best fit was for that fourth line center. Um, the, uh, of course, Nolan Patrick not being in the mix this year, that left a hole in the lineup. But fortunately, it didn't leave a hole in the second or third line because uh, Kevin Hayes and Scott Lawton moved into that. It was the fourth line center that they were trying to figure out over the, the course of the entire season. And they really filled that role well with Derek Grant coming in at the deadline. But, um, you know, they're not eager to put a, a Farabee or a Morgan Frost into that situation because that's not their skill set. There are skilled players that uh, benefit from playing with other skilled players in the top six 
as opposed to, you know, a checking role or whatever you would call it now, uh, you know, grinder role in those fourth line spots. So uh, it wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Farabee is a little bit higher, somebody else comes down, you know, obviously we got seven coaches up there making these decisions that yeah. are a lot more uh, experienced than I am. But um, you know, it, it, one thing is certain that uh, the Flyers, uh, have the depth that they need to bounce back for uh, for something like this with uh, Michael Raffel going out with with an injury that we're not going to find out any details on due to the circumstances, but it does look like they're going to have to deal uh, with uh, him not being out there for uh, a considerable amount of time here, at least uh, a couple of weeks, I would think. And I love the coy nature of Elaine. He says, I, I asked him about it and he said, well, I can't really give any details on, on injuries, but he's going to not be available for a few days. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's just one of those things. And I, I get it. I get why they're doing it. Um, nobody's ever had to deal with a situation like this before. And I, I, I wonder if the NHL couldn't come to some sort of agreement with the PA that if somebody gets hurt in a game and we all see it on camera, we, you know, obviously Mark Shifley didn't get COVID when he crashed into the boards there with Keith, with uh, Brady Kachuk. Um, you know, you, you might be able to come to a, an agreement where you can be a little more, um, detailed on at least the time you're, I mean, they're not going to give, it's all upper body, lower body in the playoffs. Anyway, it's more the time that I'm looking for. Like, can you tell us, is, is this a week long injury? Is this a, a month long injury? What is it? Maybe they'll get to that at some point as they uh, try to feel this out. And we, we even saw it. You saw it was something as little as a hat trick yesterday when uh, Andre Sveshnikov got a hat trick and there were no hats. And by the evening game, when Connor McDavid got a hat trick, the <laughs> league uh, had staffers throw a few hats on the ice. So, yeah, everybody's figuring this out as we go along. Maybe we'll get to that point where we can get a little bit more info. Maybe we won't. Um, but, um, you know, I can just tell you from looking at that injury that I'm, I'm a little bit uh, concerned that it's more than just a few days. Yeah, the fact that he uh, didn't attempt to get up on the ice, you know hockey players, they'll, yeah. they'll do anything they can to skate off that ice, and the fact that he just couldn't, and as he walked down the tunnel, he was clearly not putting any weight on that left foot or left leg, uh, whatever it may be, and kind of a similar injury to, to the one that Shifley suffered when, when Matthew Kachuk kind of, in my opinion, inadvertently uh, made contact with him as he's going into the boards, but um, a little bit of a slew foot that I didn't like in with the one uh, for uh, Michael Raffle, but nonetheless, um, they have the organizational depth to be able to handle this situation. Uh, Brad, I got to ask you about you know Phil Myers is on today's episode of Flyers Daily. Um, in that game, he's a plus three, uh, five shots on goal to lead the team. He had the goal that was just a tremendous snapshot. And I said to Phil in the interview, I said, Phil, we've all known that you have a tremendous, heavy, hard slap shot. But I didn't know he had that snapshot in that bag. And to wire that puck on that off wing, kind of like he did going down the right side, over the far shoulder, the, the blocker side of Yaro Halak was an incredible play. It's his first postseason game, and he comes out, leads the team in shots, a plus three, gets a huge goal eight seconds after Boston cuts the lead in half. Myers was fantastic in that game, and that pairing along with Sanheim is unbelievable to watch. They look even better than they did in the regular season. Yeah, and it's, I think that's another situation you were talking about where um, you know guys get uh, a second camp and, and are able to come out with uh, some improvements. And, and Phil Myers is one of the guys that has has done that. He he should have been among the three stars of the game. I think in that contest, there was a lot of flyers you could have chosen from, and, and he wasn't one of them. But he uh, he was right there with what he contributed because. You know, that, that goal is not just a pretty goal, but the timing of it, eight seconds after the Boston goal, just took, you know, completely eliminated any momentum they might have picked up from that. So that was huge. Um, but 
you know, there was a game where you're looking at it like, where did, where did this guy come from? Like we, we knew yeah. that he had, um, you know, a lot of potential, but all of a sudden the potential is, is there. And, uh, you know, we're also very excited to see what Shane Gosses bear is going to look like uh, when he rolls out, which I'm sure he'll do in one of these uh, last two games. Um, you know, this kind of thing, I think gives the flyers even a little bit more of an edge in that, um, you know, everybody's got, video on everybody these days you're you're pre-scouting you know what everybody's going to do um when when you toss a couple of guys in there like phil myers and shane gostaspare maybe that people haven't seen very much uh, play like they have play like myers just played um you know then all of a sudden you got to adjust you got to think oh what are we gonna do about this guy what are we gonna do about that guy and and that's when you start running into situations like well if they're going to start keying on usually you do this on the forwards but if you're going to start line matching uh you're going to line match the first line then all of a sudden your third line is going to do all your scoring well then they start maybe trying to line match the third line and then the first line's got room to work that's what uh, a deep team does for you it not 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 just uh, uh you know provides offense when other lines aren't uh, maybe having as good a game as they are but uh, you know it, it gives the other teams fits in terms of how to match up against this line. And that's why the Washington Capitals have been so successful over the years in general and on the power play. I mean, everybody say, you know, just put somebody in Ovechkin's pocket on the power play and not let him shoot. Well, then you got to deal with Kuznetsov and then you got to deal with TJ Oshie. Um, it's Backstrom, a similar situation yeah. here. The Flyers can get their, um, you know, their four lines rolling. They're going to be much, much harder to play against as a unit when it comes to uh, trying to match things up. So hopefully Phil Myers can, can keep that up. And, uh, you know, again, you talk about the goals, you see the goals, but you mentioned it, Jason. Them and uh, he and Travis Sanheim have been uh, have, have developed into a tremendous second pairing for this team, and uh, you know we'll just see how uh, how much further they can go. Yeah, very young too. Each of those two players, um, and Flyers get three points from their defensemen. They led the NHL in the regular season in points from the blue line as well. Uh, Brian, the game on Thursday, the Flyers will be back in action. They're going to take on Washington, who, by the way, tied Tampa. Uh, and then went to the shootout and lost in the shootout. T.J. Oshie was the only member of uh, the Capitals to score in the shootout. No surprise there. Kucherov and Braden. Is he good in the shootout? He was ridiculous. (laughs) You you saw after he scored in the shootout, by the way, that Vasilevsky just turned his head and looked at him and was like, that ain't right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was like, whoa, just the release to go high glove on him. Uh, But Kucherov, he's pretty good too. And Braden Point, who's playing really well. Uh, Tampa gets the win, but the Flyers will see Washington next. Now, the standings in the round robin right now, these are regular season standings. So the Flyers get the two points with the win over Boston. The Lightning get two points with the shootout win over the Caps. The Caps get a loser point. And so the order right now is Lightning, Flyers, Caps, Bruins through one game each here in the round robin. Uh, but they get, the, they get the Capitals on Thursday. They've had tremendous success against the Caps. Three-on-one in the regular season. Ovechkin was held without a point. Uh, how does Elaine Vigneault attack this situation? I know he wants to get a lot of players in, and he, he's treating it as the, the playoffs for them really begin on August 11th. But he's got an opportunity now because he won game one. Does that affect how he makes his decisions on lineup? I, I really don't know, Jason. I, I, I'm not sure that he cares who he plays in the first round, to be honest. I, I, I think he's equally confident against all the other teams. Obviously, if you're going to um, – you know, if you're, if you're going to choose, there's teams you wouldn't want to choose. I don't want the Flyers playing the Islanders in the first round. Um, they look good. But but it's, you know, just because they've had trouble with them in the regular season. But, um, you know, it's almost out of your control who you play. And I think that might be 
uh, a little bit into why they've decided to just, you know, approach these games as preparation for the first round. Um, you know, maybe they look at things and say, uh, well, maybe for that last game, maybe they want to try to get in uh, some, some guys in there. Maybe that alters things when they have a firm picture of what's going to happen if they do this or do that or, or do whatever. Um, I'm more interested to see, I, I am really kind of interested to see come the weekend how these games are approached because we were discussing it before we started recording this podcast. The, the only two things at play in this round robin are points earned in the games and regular season winning percentage. Uh, all the normal tiebreakers in there of, uh, that you have in the regular season of you know, regulation wins and then regulation overtime wins and then total goals, those are all out the window. I'm really interested to see if uh, one, or the, one of these games is a situation where somebody's playing for a tie because they know the point gets them what they need to be a certain seed. You know what I mean? Like it's Determine uh, the opponent, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So, um, you know, I don't know. Again, you know, they've got, uh, I'm sure, um, all sorts of information on uh, all of these teams. Maybe they have a preference, maybe they don't. But uh, I think my experience more often than not is I've heard people say that you can't try to you know, pinpoint who you want to play because it usually ends up biting you in the end. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so I don't know. It's, that is an interesting thing to see. And I guess we'll, um, you know, I, I, would, I would think at this point, they are weighing getting guys meaningful minutes above trying to win a game um, in certain circumstances. Just like one of the things that AV said over the camp is that if somebody gets hurt, you don't want to take his replacement and toss him into game one of the first round or game two of the first round, not having played a meaningful game since March. Um, yeah. you know, that's not a recipe for success in the first round. So I think they're probably still leaning towards getting guys minutes, but uh, we'll see how it goes as this week progresses. Yeah, really. And the, the most pronounced uh, element of that will be Brian Elliott. Uh, will Brian Elliott play Thursday against the Caps or will Brian Elliott see the final game on uh, Saturday against the Tampa Bay Lightning? That remains to be seen. I imagine he's going to get one of these games no matter what, uh, just depends on which one and which matchup maybe they like it in that regard. Any of the series, uh, the playing series in the Eastern Conference really jump out at you? I look at the Rangers down 2-0, and Carolina has really dominated. They're getting good goaltending from Peter Morozik. Um, the Rangers have not been able to go with Igor Shosturkin, the young goaltender who went 10-2 and in the regular season with a 943 save percentage. They go with Lundqvist, who has tremendous numbers against the Canes, but that series – the Rangers, I thought, were a team that were dangerous. As a matter of fact, I picked them in that series over the Canes, but the Canes look like the team they were last year that swept the Penguins out of the playoffs. They do, and uh, you know, with all respect to Henrik Lundqvist, I'm not sure that the goaltender that has those numbers is the goaltender playing in his jersey right now. Um, I, I was really kind of my eyes were really open to his situation back in February when the um, the Flyers played the Rangers in a back to back. And uh, I believe it was a three and four um, where Lundquist uh, was, um, was healthy as far as we know, but they went with Shesterkin in the back-to-back, -back, in both games of a back-to-back -back of games with travel. Um, I, 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 I don't know the exact circumstances for both teams, but I believe the first game that was in Philadelphia might have been a back-to-back -back for the Rangers. Yeah. And the Flyers – we're playing the first half of a back-to-back -back that maybe had a day off. And I don't know. It's a, I, I'm having trouble remembering the circumstances. But whatever it was, I was surprised that Lundqvist wasn't playing. And then the two teams went up for the second half of the back-to-back the, the -back 
up in uh, up at Madison Square Garden, and they started Lundquist, and the Flyers just shelled them. Yeah, um, three goals in the first period, I think, or four goals in the. I was calling the PWHPA uh, games at the time at the uh, at Skate Zone. Uh, for the uh, women's hockey tour they had there. So I was kind of watching that game out of the corner of my eye. But every time I looked down, the Flyers had another goal. Um, so uh, I, I don't know that um, I don't know that uh, Lundquist has maybe much of a future in New York with the two young guys they've got going there. Um, you know, it, it, everything comes to an end, obviously, and what a career that he's had. But uh, I think not having Shesterkin there has really kind of handcuffed that team a little bit. And uh, it's the opposite effect of what, the, the, the Penguins were worried about with Carey Price in a five-game series, how a goaltender can just go in there and steal it for you. Um, you know, when you, when, you, or when you lose your goaltender and you have to go with your backup uh, in a best-of-five series, uh, you do not have much wiggle room. I mean, you know, the Rangers are down 2 nothing. If it's a best-of-seven, you see it all the time. The next team comes in and wins the two games and you're tied. But, uh, but, but that doesn't um, necessarily hold true in this, in this situation. So, uh, I, I am a little bit surprised that, uh, you know, the games uh, have progressed the way that they have. But, um, you know, the Rangers uh, seem to maybe have a little bit of wind out of their sails without Shesterkin and that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, we'll see if the Rangers can stave off elimination. Uh, just as quick as you got into the bubble, you could be going home from the bubble. Um, the Penguins and the Canadians just alluded to it. And Matt Murray got to start in game two as well. Penguins, even that series after an overtime loss in game one, Carey Price was outrageous in game one. He was outrageous, as a matter of fact, in game two. Uh, he gives up just the two goals. He makes 35 saves. Um, but this series now tied at five, or tied at one, excuse me, in a best of five. And, it, it, you know, you go, okay, maybe the Penguins are just going to steamroll him now. But as long as Carey Price is this locked in, and he appears to be this locked in through games one and two, this could be a very dicey series for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, it really can. And, uh, you know, this is a, um, you know, the Flyers are watching this series really closely heading into things because if they had not moved up in their round robin, then they were um, going to see probably the Penguins if they, uh, if they were able to win this series, the, the 4-5 matchup. But, um, you know, again, uh, I think Carey Price is doing exactly what uh, the Penguins were afraid he might do and is just being uh, Carey Price back there. Um, you know, it's uh, – a uh, very, uh, very little room for error when you're uh, dealing with this five-game series. And, you know, if you, we, we saw a lot of talk about it, that the, the teams uh, over the years that have won the first game in these, you know, used to do best of five series all the time in the early 80s, uh, going through to about uh, 1986, I think, was the last time they did it. And back then, the, uh, the team that um, won game one won 81% of the series. Now, I believe it's a much different NHL now, the, uh, the parity in this league is uh, much closer than it was back then, even when you only had 20-some-odd uh, teams. And, um, you know, uh, the, uh, you know the, the guys at the top were uh, leaps and bounds against the guys over the bottom. But, uh, you know, I think that it's still definitely a, a, a dicey situation for the Penguins. And, you know, they've gotten even, which they needed to do. Um, but uh, that game three is not going to be a cakewalk for them, even though coming off a game two win. Um, you know, these two teams are, uh, are digging in for this one. I see this one going all the way to five games. Yeah, um, me too. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly interesting because a lot of folks, you know, for, for a lot of people, the main flaw in this whole thing is that the Canadians are involved because they were 15 points out of a playoff spot at the end of the season. But, um, you know, the, the reason they were that far back is they're so bad in shootouts this year. Um, you know, they, they had 13 
uh, overtime and shootout losses, I think. And so um, they're not as, as bad of a team as that record shows. And I think the Penguins are, are, uh, are finding that out. Yeah, no doubt. The, the other series in the Eastern Conference I want to take a look at was the Columbus-Toronto series. Uh, uh, taping here, uh, they will play this afternoon. Uh, but Columbus wins game one. They get the goose egg from the Corpedo. Jonas Corposalo shuts out Toronto. And it wasn't like Toronto didn't have some good opportunities. He made some tremendous saves, including an incredible high-danger chance from Austin Matthews right in the slot. He makes a tremendous uh, glove save. And you know John Tortorella. You know that when the world is up against uh, John Tortorella, he's going to get his boys firing on all cylinders. And he's done it once again. He just continues to do it. Another Jack Adams nominee. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's really funny with this team. Um, you know, I think you're, you're finding out this year, um, you know, how much of an effect John Tortorella can have on a team. And I'm, a, you know, again, I, I don't pay a ton of attention to, um, to other teams, uh, specifically in a practice mode, but um, – you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe the, uh, the elements of torts that wore thin on his previous teams are maybe a little bit muted now that he's on, what is this, his, uh, his third stop or fourth stop? Fourth, uh, yeah. Fourth stop overall. Um, you know, coaches, I think, tend to mellow out over time. And so I think what you're seeing with this team is, uh, um, you know, some of the stuff that would wear on his players at previous stops may not be there quite as much. And the stuff that has made him successful shines out a little bit more because this is a Columbus team that was not even supposed to be in the picture this year after losing Artemi yeah. Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, they then, you know, tried to replace those guys and everybody got hurt, but they were able to still have a good enough season to get into this uh, grand tournament that we're in right now. And, you know, without Bobrovsky, without uh, Panarin, Obviously, those are two big pieces missing, but the bulk of this team is still the same team and definitely still the same coach that knocked off Tampa Bay last year. Yeah, Matt um, Duchesne as well. Yeah, so, so you, um, you, know, you, you know that this is a group that um, can get things done in an underdog situation. And I know Toronto is you know, like any other team, and they're, you know, there's no fans, and, and they have to follow all the same rules that everybody else does. But you know, we're still playing in Toronto's building. They still got to feel more comfortable there than uh, the other teams do. Um, so, you know, for them to come out and uh, make a statement like that in game one, I think is, uh, you know, really just a continuation of what we saw all season from this group. And, um, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing Toronto going out in their own building again, the same way that Tampa Bay did. But uh, this might be another one that goes the distance here. But I think Columbus right now over this Toronto team does have the edge. Toronto's yeah. got a lot of pressure on them, even, you know, again, even though there's no fans, even though they're in their own building, um, they have, they might have more pressure on them from uh, their media and their fan base than any team in this tournament. So yeah. uh, they might be feeling that a little bit too, when it comes down to it. Yeah. Boys don't turn on the talk radio in Toronto because no. they are uh, not the most level-headed at the, at the worst of times or the best of times. And uh, right now with them down one, nothing seeing what Columbus did last year to the Tampa Bay lightning, <laughs> I'm sure I they're mean, freaking out. <laughs> you know, not only that, but the level to which they're discussed in Toronto is, you know, take the level to which the Eagles are discussed in this town multiply and it multiply by 10. that by about 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've got, they've got multiple, uh, multi-hour talk shows that are just contractually based to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then they yeah. put those shows on TV. I mean, it is, they are everything in the province of Ontario. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think there's some pressure there on these guys to, um, 
you know, to come out and, uh, and make a, make a splash in this tournament more, more almost than there is on, on any other team that's playing. Yeah. And the fact that they haven't gotten out of a first round and if they lost in this playing round, would you even consider them making the playoffs? Uh, yeah, but you're right. Yeah. They, 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 they talk about uh, that team Leafs lunch, Leafs dinner, Leafs snack. It's everything on the radio <laughs> and on the television up there. Yeah. No doubt. All right, let's get to my conversation. I had a chance to catch up with Flyers president, CEO, Comcast Spectacore, Dave Scott. Uh, he represents ownership and had a chance to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with Dave. And here's that conversation. The chairman and CEO of Comcast Spectacore, the parent company of the Philadelphia Flyers, Dave Scott. Dave, how are you? Doing great, uh, Jason. Really good to be talking to you today. Well, the game is back on the ice. What a process it's been over the past uh, 140 days, if you can believe it. But how's the time during the pause been for you uh, with the se- you know the season steaming towards the playoffs and all of a sudden, boom, you hit the brakes, you go from 60 to, to a stop. How's that been for you to deal with? Yeah, you know, it, it's been really hard. I mean, for the whole Flyers organization, the team, I mean, you know, we were hitting on all cylinders and um, we were in such a good place in early to mid-March. So, um, you know, it was. I think it was especially hard on us. I don't think anybody would have dreamed, Jason, this would go on for four months, almost five months, you know, coming up here. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the hand we were dealt. And I, I think everybody's adjusting to this new norm and, I'm just thrilled that uh, we're back now and safe and uh, yeah, went back and forth with Chuck this morning. Everything is good in Toronto and the bubble's working. So uh, we'll, we'll forge ahead just a little bit later than we all thought. Dave, how impressive. I was so impressed with Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, the, uh, the commissioner and deputy commissioner, Donald Fear, the head of the PA, the NHLPA, the players, the return to play committee. The way they handled this entire process of getting the game back on the ice, it didn't get ugly in, in public like baseball perhaps did a little bit. And they also ensured labor peace through 2026. How important is that element, knowing the CBA is agreed upon for the next six years so the, you know, the league can remain healthy and move forward as we eventually move past this pandemic? Well, I mean, first, let me just uh, acknowledge Gary and uh, Bill and their staff. I mean, they just did a tremendous job. And, you know, I, I think the group that the Players Association had, you know, JBR was on that that, uh, that team working with Don. And, um, you know, they both sides, I mean, really, really went at it and worked through it. I mean, so many details. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't thank either side enough that we got to the, the place we are here. We're definitely – kind of created a win-win I think for ownership as well as the players and you know we've got a roadmap now that takes us out six years so it uh, it couldn't be better and you know we've got our TV deal our national U.S. TV deals coming up in two years and the fact that we have this certainty it makes it easier for uh, the NHL to get to get that in place so uh, a lot of great things you know I'm, I'm really thrilled we got it done. And you couple that with another team coming into the league uh, in 2021-22. What you think of the name, the Kraken? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I think I've forgotten what a Kraken was. Like, this, <laughs> uh, like this is, you know, but I like it. The colors are pretty cool. I think they did a good job, uh, you know, with the rollout on it. So uh, we welcomed them to the league. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's certainly a great thing. I love the jerseys too. They did a great job. And and it's amazing that they were able to keep all of that under wraps while no games were being played. That's tremendous. Um, but, but Dave, over the last 14 months, it's been really interesting. A lot of changes with the Flyers. You brought in Chuck Fletcher last year uh, as the steward of the franchise and the GM. Um, and then he went out in this offseason. He hired Elaine Vigneault, this staff with with Mike Terry and Mike Yo, former head coaches, uh, combined now with Ian LaPerriere and Kim Dillabaugh. But how impressive has Elaine been for you, really from the start of the interview process to what he's done with this this team in his first season? Yeah, well, yeah, just starting with A.V., I mean, we, uh, you know, it was a thorough process. And, you know, we, we always really had our eye very closely on him. I remember my first season when we had the draft here in uh, 2014 at the Wells Fargo Center. And, um, you know, they did such a good job. You know, AB did that year with the Rangers, lost LA, but, uh, you know, really got a glimpse of what he could do my first season. You know, he did a tremendous job there. So I think, you know, the fact that he came to us with this track record, I mean, he's, he's had such a good career and um, he quickly garnered the respect of our team and the whole organization. And, uh, you know, he did that early on. And uh, as we got deeper into the season, you know, I think everybody, you know, got on board with his systems. And I've talked about our gold-plated coaching staff couldn't be happier with the team he put together. But, you know, really, Jason, I think you just have to really look at all the stats from, you know, last season to, to this season. I don't care what you're looking at. I mean, we've significantly improved on uh, every metric. And, you know, whether you're looking at uh, goals for, goals against, you know, the special teams, uh, even strength, uh, it, it's all been great. And what's really important is, you know, we weren't in the playoffs, you know, last season and this season we are. So we're, we're in a good place. Yeah, in a good place for the current and the future as well. Dave, perhaps the most impressive stat to me is that the Flyers last season had 82 points. This year they have 89 points, seven more points than the year before and they've played 13 less regular season games. That's a tremendous no, job. It's crazy. Yeah, we were, you know, we were a 50-50 team, and now, you know, close to 65%, you know, we've, we finished in a great spot, so close to Washington. So, uh, get you excited about this, this reseeding coming up. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have a general manager in Chuck Fletcher. Um, you hired an extremely intelligent man, graduate of Harvard. And we know the economics right now um, that, that you guys just went through with the new CBA and a flat cap. And uh, th that presents a whole host of challenges. But given that flat cap, another NHL franchise entering the league with an expansion draft coming on, on the horizon as well. Tons of variables here. But having a GM ca capable of navigating this circumstance has got to be a bonus for you guys. Absolutely. I couldn't think of a better guy to be in the seat, you know, as we look at it, um, you know, there's going to be some challenges, but, you know, Chuck is so, you know, he's bright, he's hardworking, you know, he's so collaborative. And I, I think, you know, he utilizes all those resources he has to, to help him in his decision-making. Uh, you know, I've sat in some of these meetings where you've got front office people, you've got the coaching staff, you've got, uh, Dave and the scouts and uh, supported by data analytics. I mean, he, he really has brought the whole organization together that way. And, um, you know, he's a long-term planner. Like you said, he went to Harvard and he gets business too. He's hockey and business. And um, you really do have to look long. And, and when you look at, you know, all the things you have to keep in mind with, you know, contracts coming up and like you said, the cap is flat, you know, hopefully his revenues come back. We'll start to, see that grow a little bit, give us some more uh, room as we get out a few years. But 
now he's he's the right guy to be heading the organization right now. Dave is a high level executive and a guy that's um, you know run some really big companies in, in, with Comcast and, and done all of you done in your career. It's so important that every element from ownership to the GM to hockey operations business, all of it, be pulling on the rope in the same direction, isn't it? Especially now. Absolutely. I mean, and we have that. I mean, I, just the energy of the whole organization. I was fortunate to get over to uh, Boris, you know, last Tuesday and Thursday and watching the scrimmages and just getting around seeing everybody. And, um, you know, whether, you know, looking at the team, I mean, you know, I mean, the energy's there, the, the chemistry's there. I mean, couldn't be in a better place that way, but you, you feel that throughout the whole organization. So I, I couldn't be more pleased with, uh, with the group we have. Uh, Dave, one of the things, yeah, no, no question about it. And uh, throughout the organization, uh, one of the things fans are wondering, they'd love to be back in the building for these playoffs. Obviously that's not in the cards right now and we understand why, but fans are wondering uh, when they may be able to get back in the building. Um, Obviously not again, not for these playoffs, but pending when that 2021 NHL season starts and the NHL has a, a date penciled in as December 1st, but how will that element of fans being able to attend games maybe in, and socially distanced crowd or, or, and that kind of be handled. What's kind of like the timelines for, for you and your standpoint from that? Yeah. I mean, we're all hopeful uh, the sooner the better, but um, I think right now I'm, I'm just looking at, you know, just getting hockey on television and um, you know, we were fortunate at NBC, you know, had all the Olympics that got canceled. Mm-hmm. So it really cleared the deck. So I think we're going to see better hockey than we've ever seen. You know, they're going to utilize their whole platform and, you know, I think that would get people excited about, you know, when we get to late November, December for the next season. But, no, we've had to do a lot of planning, you know, Jason, around this thing. We really – we have June 30th year ends in the company. So, you know, you got to go through and make the, you know, the best assumptions you can make. You know, we don't have a crystal ball. But, you know, I don't, again, we didn't really – we didn't really expect to have fans in at the beginning. I think the idea was, you know, we will get opened up and kind of find our sea legs there. And, um, you know, we want to make sure the the Wells Fargo center is in a position that people, when they do start to come back, will feel safe and comfortable. And we're, we're looking at everything. I mean, just, just the normal sanitization processes you go through, you know, you see what's going on with the Phillies now. I mean, you, you have to get all that, Right. But, um, you know, we're looking at improvements too, and to our HVAC systems and things, anything we could do that, um, will just make it better. And, you know, I mean, the, the real hope is that we get a vaccine, you know, early next year. I mean, and, you know, seems like it's promising from everything we're seeing, but, uh, we'll start, you know, we'll probably start with social distancing. I'm hoping, you know, kind of January, February, you know, no later than March, um, you know, the hand we're dealt with the city here. But sooner than, you know, sooner than later, and, you know, the, the arena holds 20,000. So, you know, we'll start with social distancing and, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time on it already and then, then hopefully see it ramp up from there. Um, but, you know, we're all in this same boat together and, you know, this is a time now to be, you know, we got to be cautious and make sure we do this, this reopening right. Yeah, and we, and we will go back to normal. At some point, we will go back to normal. We just don't know exactly when that is yet, but it's well said. Um, let me ask you about Oscar Limbaugh, Dave, because 2020 has been a year we'd all like to throw in the trash can and pitch out. With the exception of this story of Oscar Limbaugh, dealt that blow with Ewing sarcoma diagnosis in late December, um, and, and it's perhaps the most uplifting story, sports story of 2020. 
we all need something to feel good about. Talk about Oscar, what it's meant to kind of watching him uh, go through his battle with the dignity in which he did it. And, and now to be headed to Toronto here eventually and be a part of that 31-player roster. If you're looking for something to feel good about, this is the story, isn't it? This is the story. That was the icing on the cake. The, yeah. You know, he was our 31st guy coming in. But, uh, you know, going back, I mean, he, he stopped, you know, playing this hit last December. Um, but all I can tell you, I mean, he, he he's always been there every step of the way, you know, as he could be with the team. And, you know, I always go down to the locker room after every home game. And um, he was around there when he could be many times. And just a real inspiration to everybody his teammates and, and our whole organization. And um, he just maintained such a positive attitude throughout this whole thing. And it certainly, certainly wasn't, wasn't easy, but he's a fighter and um, you know, he's just, he's just such a positive young man. So um, it's fun to see him getting to this point and we're all rooting for him for the, uh, the Masterton trophy. Couldn't think of a better guy to get it. And um, I hope he sees some ice time while he's up in Toronto here. Not there, Edmonton. <laughs> yeah. yeah, eventually to Edmonton, right? That's where the final four will be for the conference final and the cup final. Uh, last thing That's for you, it. Dave. Yeah. Uh, how will Dave Scott handle watching the 2020 Flyers Stanley Cup playoffs? This could be a really wild ride. There's so many things we don't know about how the teams are going to come back and all these different variables, but you have a good group of you know, young players and young legs, and you have a veteran group that's got something to prove and, and talking to all the guys on Flyers Daily, um, they all, I get a sense that this is, this is business. They, they want to accomplish something big here. AV talked about it as well. The job is not done. How are you going to handle watching these playoffs? No, no. And, you know, AV's been good. He's been very candid with everybody. I mean, the team, you know, has worked so hard to get here. So um, I think, you know, it, it's just so different. I mean, normally, you know, you go to camp and, you know, then you, you get out and you play some exhibition games. You get a, you know, you get a better mix normally, you know, past seasons of uh, playing other teams. So we don't have that this year. So um, you kind of want to make them all count. I think like today, I think we're going to see a level of intensity that we've never seen in an exhibition game. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, you get into the round robin. I think AB's approach has been a good one. Like we got to find the right balance towards you know it'd be great to move up from fourth to first in the seating or somewhere in between but you still want to make sure you're ready for August 11th that's that's kind of job one so uh, I'll be watching it uh, remotely you know I'm not going to get up to Toronto but my plan is to uh, get to Edmonton you know for the the Eastern Conference Finals and uh, be watching all the games from a distance and you know be talking to Chuck every day you know we, we touched base this morning and people are excited about today so it's it's really just getting started but uh i look forward to going to edmonton and the, the stanley cup playoffs i uh, hear alberta i hear alberta's beautiful in september when you get into december it gets a little cold up there but uh nonetheless uh, uh, uh we all hope that you're in edmonton for a couple of rounds dave i appreciate you doing this um i, I know it's uncertain times uh, from a business standpoint uh for not only the flyers but everybody but um uh, things hopefully are moving in the right direction. And the great news is, is, is the team is going to provide this city a lot of healing too. And they're, they're really going to help this, this city get excited because uh, they got a good product on the ice and a coaching staff they can be proud of that does things the right way uh, in our world today. We frankly could all use it. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, sports is really taking a leadership 
position sort of taking us out of this. And like you said earlier, we will come out of this and um, we'll learn a lot and uh, we got to keep looking at the long term. So thanks, Jason. I enjoyed it. Thanks to Dave Scott for taking the time to join us here on this episode number six of Flyers Fix. It's Jason Martinez and Brian Smith. And Brian, let's let's get to uh, kind of our observations of what the games have looked like on television as, uh, you know, they try and bring this to us. Sands fans, did, I think the NHL did a really good job covering the seats and the LED screens in the buildings. And what's been your impression of how, how the games have been broadcasted? Because I'm not even noticing there's no fans unless during a, a stoppage of play I actually look for it. You know, I think the testament to how well everything's gone with these broadcasts has been the fact that I don't think the, the vast majority of people out there necessarily have even noticed a difference and and you and I being behind the scenes we know how different it is Mm -hmm. to put on these broadcasts um you know when when you're watching these games I I believe only a couple of you know obviously NBC is rotating in uh, their entire announcing crew I think only a couple are in the bubble uh John Forslund is in the bubble He's on site. Um, there's Oof. a couple guys in Edmonton. Yeah, in terms of play-by-play guys, they, they do have the uh, same guys between the benches, Bush and, and Pierre in Edmonton. Um, they are there, obviously. With the play-by-play guys and the color guys uh, that are normally in the, in the press box, um, are they scattered. Are, <laughs> they're scattered, but again, I think a couple of them are on site, but most of them are either are in, are in Stanford, Connecticut and NBC's headquarters doing the games from there. Uh, and in Mike Emmerich's case, he's at home in Michigan. Um, so the, the degree to which you have to tie all this together is significantly different for, um, for our crew, NBC sports, Philadelphia, Jim Jackson and and Bill Clement are going to be doing the next two games in the first round from the Wells Fargo center, uh, watching it on a monitor, uh, very similar to what, uh, you're watching at home. We have a couple of different, uh, camera feeds that we're watching. Uh, Tim Saunders and Steve Coates are doing the same thing from the Wells Fargo center, watching the game on TV. And, uh, you know, the sounds that you hear are genuine sounds from the games, but we are receiving those sounds via various data connections to Toronto. So it is, uh, it's a very intricate puzzle to weave together. And everybody that's done it has been just so amazing at doing it because none of us have ever done it before. Here in Philadelphia for us on the, the Flyers Radio Network, it's, it's Rodney Bird doing all the heavy lifting and uh, Betsy Deming running the games. Uh, you know, without those guys, I'm not sure we'd even be on the air. So in terms of the broadcasts, uh, it's been amazing because, again, I, I don't – to me, the fan noise doesn't bother me. Um, I know that some people would rather not have it. Uh, it. To me, it sounds a little strange without it. Um, in terms of how they stage the building, I mean, the buildings are gorgeous. Uh, and it's really – a again, we would much rather have fans in the buildings. Uh, don't get me wrong yep. there. But the league has taken advantage of the fact that there are not fans in the buildings – uh, to create settings that they could not create if there were fans in the buildings, obviously with the banners and the boards and stuff, but the, the camera angles, there's uh, my understanding is there's somewhere between 28 and 32 camera angles um, in these buildings. And that's about 12 to 20 more camera angles than you have at a typical game because they're able to put cameras in places they would not normally be able to put them because they would affect the seating arrangements. So they're taking advantage of the unfortunate situation of the fans not being there to then bring you, um, you know, views that you have not seen before while you're at home watching these games. So they've done a very, very good job of that. I haven't noticed this as much, and that's probably because, um, you know, we're pulling our hair out trying to get the radio broadcast on the air, but I did notice it last night in the Pittsburgh game, these Zoom uh, presentations that they're making 
with fans of the teams on those video boards um, in the I arena. Saw, yeah. In the arena, yeah. I saw I saw the Pittsburgh one posted coming out of a commercial yesterday, and it, they're going on the power play, and it sounded like a Pittsburgh home game. I saw some references on Twitter to that happening with Flyers fans on on Sunday. Um, again, we were trying to make sure that our radio broadcast was going well, so I wasn't paying a ton of attention to it. But uh, I, I, my understanding is that they got some Flyers fans involved in that as well, getting them on, on these Zoom calls and posting those, those feeds, um, probably pre-recorded uh, very slightly, but posting those on the game, on the, on the boards in the game as it's happening. Um, so they're, they're doing their best to, to get that going as well. And again, nobody's done this before. So these first few games for everybody, it's a little bit of trial and error. My thought is that by the time they get to the first round, they'll be able to get some best practices down and really sort of enhance things like that. So, uh, that, that'll, I think it's just going to get better as the games go on. Yeah. They're just going to learn to present it even better and, and, and more, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of, you know, with the fans in tandem to, to kind of have it, uh, you know, those fans be able to react with the game as best as possible. Um, the product on the ice um, to me was, a you know, for a lot of people was a big concern coming back. So oh, guys are going to get injured because they haven't played in four or five months or the, the pace of play is not going to be good. The ice, all of those things, the ice has been chippy at points, especially on the third game, uh, you know, in one building in a day. But overall, the product on the ice to me, I mean, by the first game, Justin Williams drops the mitts and starts chucking nucks five minutes into the game. And there's been fights. There's been big hits. The intensity is there. And the league took my advice. Well, not completely, because I said to put the, the cup in between the benches so they knew what they were playing for without fans. They did me one better. They just put the cup as the, uh, the logo at center yeah. ice so these teams know what they're playing for. And there's been a lot of intensity in these playing rounds. That first game, it's just like, holy smokes, look at this. I, yeah. I was really stunned at how that first game played out. Um, you know, the uh, – the, the big question was, what's it going to be like playing in front of no fans? Uh, everybody asked over the course of these training camps, when was the last time you guys played in front of an empty building? Well, none of them could even think of one because yeah, their, their, their <laughs> parents were always at least there yelling at them or whatnot. I mean, you know how hockey parents get sometimes. But, uh, um, you know, I, the, the fact that they've come out and, uh, you know, right from the get-go, that first game um, on, on Saturday at noon, the whole – hockey world has kind of had eyes on that game and they were just knocked down drag out from the very get-go um that was uh, to me um you know that that bodes well for um for for what we saw to come and then you know not that I agree one bit with uh, what Paul Maurice had to say about the injury to Mark Shifley uh, saying that it was intentional I don't think it was intentional at all but um you know in terms of making that series more intense that's going to get it done <laughs> and uh, you saw that yesterday in game two so I've been I've been pleased with it um you know I I'm not there it's hard to notice really the ice conditions too much from from uh, not being there I'm sure that the ice is not as good in game three in August as it would be uh for one game in February um but uh, that that's as much uh due to the the weather as as anything uh, the, the NHL really does do a lot to try to take care of the ice. There's rules in place. You can't have anybody skating on the ice um, within three hours of the start of a regular season game. Um, you know, for those of you maybe uh, who have done this before, a lot of times you have an opportunity to 
be a part of a group that might uh, play a game at the Wells Fargo Center after after a Flyers game, or you might you know we, they do it uh, early in the day too on the day of games, like at noon. You might be able to play a game um, if you get a team together that buys a bunch of tickets and buys a package. Um, you know the the league does not permit teams to make those arrangements within three hours of a puck drop because they want the ice to be. Um, yeah exactly <laughs> they want it to be as good as a shape as possible for the uh, actual NHL game so they do uh, put a lot into that um, and I, I think that um, you know all the experience that they've gleaned from putting on outdoor games over the last 11 years um, is, is probably coming to play here even though it's an indoor environment um, they're probably having to take care of this ice the way they do uh, closer to the way they do an outdoor game um, than they do uh, for a regular old indoor game. If you've um, ever seen maybe some pictures of outdoor games leading up to it, I mean, they, they will go to lengths as, to, uh, as far as to cover the ice with uh, reflective shields to keep the sun out of it. They do all sorts of things to maintain that ice. So they're probably trying to employ some of those extra strategies in these situations where this ice is getting used a, a whole lot. And it'll... Um, you know, it'll, it'll get better, I think, as uh, the playoffs go on and you have fewer teams and maybe some off days in between or at least some – I mean, you're not going to be playing noon to, noon to eight every day um, for uh, too much longer. As they get more time to, to work on the ice, I would imagine there's probably people working on it 24 hours a day. Um, you don't normally have guys coming in overnight to work on the ice, but under these circumstances, I would not be surprised if that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, but, but kudos to those folks as well for what's uh, got to be a tremendous task. Yeah, Dave Craig and his crew from uh, the NHL offices does a tremendous job on the playing surface. And I'm sure, yeah, they're working overtime, flooding that ice, extra cuts uh, to make sure uh, that uh, the conditions are NHL standard. Right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Fix. Uh, Another one coming up in a couple of weeks as round one will be underway when we join you next. So uh, thanks to Elaine Vigneault for joining us. Thanks for Dave Scott for joining us. Thanks to Brian Smith. Uh, This was a lot of fun, Brian. And this is a great time of year all of a sudden for hockey. Yep, it's uh, I, this has got to be the first time in a lot of our careers that we've been uh, waiting for hockey, uh, waiting out a tropical storm for for the <laughs> hockey to resume. But uh, but we'll take it. Uh, you get to do some things you don't normally get to do. Coach, he did say that was the first time in his life that he'd been able to celebrate his birthday during hockey season. Yeah. So uh, so there's uh, there there's some fringe benefits to it as well. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Fix, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.